Now, for a lot of people, they will actually go on on leave when they actually have a baby, whether it be the mother or the father. They will take time out to maybe look after the baby for a period of time, several months. And every country is different in their in the way that they actually have these different laws on how much time you can take out. And the person I interviewed in this episode, Catherine Winch, is a wonderful lady in the sense that she helps a lot of people who are coming back into the workforce, in particular mums, who are coming back into the workforce. She is the founder and the CEO of an organisation called the Mum Complex, where she helps some of the largest companies in the world, such as Walmart, Johnson Johnson, and so forth, to help develop products and services for mothers. She's also the author of a popular book, Slay Like a Mother, which is recently named as one of the top 10 life-changing self-help books of the year. And so Catherine and her research is well sought after. And we had a really cool conversation about things, in particular around leadership. One thing we talked about was learning from different generations of leaders. So maybe older generations of leaders learning from younger generations of leaders and vice versa. And then we also talked about the effort and effect. And I'm not just going to give that away. I'm going to let you have a listen to the episode to understand what she meant by that. But I asked the question, what, which was, what was it like for her to go from a job, corporate world, whatever it is, to then go into and transition into founding her own company, her own business? And she talked that, about that as being the leadership leap that she took. And so some really cool learnings and insights or information she shared there as well. And one other thing we did talk about is a lot of uh, leaders today need to think about people more than just their role, beyond the role. And it's about no longer being a cold relationship. It's about how you build relationships with people, which is really important. But the title of the episode is What Currency is Most Important to You? And what Catherine shared here was the fact that, you know, what's important to people today, money, is it other things? And so she talked about that as being a currency. And so what I'm going to really suggest is that you now take notes as we go through this episode. And if you're out there walking, running or exercising, driving while you're listening to this, don't worry. You can always listen to it again as well. But it's a fascinating discussion I had with Catherine. So let's listen to the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey listeners, welcome to another wonderful episode here with the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Catherine Winch. Catherine, a massive welcome to you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Now for our listeners, whereabouts are you located in the world today? I am talking to you from Richmond, Virginia on the east coast of the United States. Very nice. Very nice. That's excellent. Hey, um, I've already given the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you and your bio, but we'd love to hear more from you about what you do and so forth. So is there anything you might want to share with the listeners about your background? Sure. I am currently the founder and CEO of a company called The Mom Complex, and we are a consulting company 
and we help some of the largest companies in the world, like Walmart, Johnson Johnson, Chobani, etc., develop new products and services for mothers, and it's deeply rewarding. And then I am also the author of a book called Slay Like a Mother, which is a personal empowerment self-help book for women and mothers all over the world. Oh, excellent. And in so that book, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how does it help mothers? I mean, I think the title says it all. But, uh, <laughs> That's good, yeah. I was pretty proud of that one. Yeah, yep. so Slay Like a Mother is a guide, a book for helping you slay what I refer to as your dragon of self-doubt to so this voice inside of you that says you're never, you know, good enough, good enough, tough enough, man enough, wife enough, woman enough, whatever, you know, enough. And it's very practical, kind of step-by-step. Cover some of my own journey from overcoming my own self-doubt. And even though I was quite successful on the outside, I felt pretty hollow and empty on the inside. So it's a lot of my personal story the readers can really relate to as well. Oh, tremendous. And it's amazing how so many people actually do go through that self-doubt and um, that little voice in the between the ears talking to us and saying things to us, you'll never be good enough and so forth. And I actually think also... Would you find that a lot of people who maybe gone on maternity leave, being out of the workforce maybe three months, six months, 12 months? Because I think every country is different. I know in New Zealand, it's 12 months you go off once you've had your baby and so forth. Coming back into the workforce, getting back into business, getting back into another role again. Do people struggle with that? Yeah, it's a it's a really significant pain point in the life of mothers all around the world. And there's significant self-doubt. There's, you know, sleep deprivation. You're trying to learn how to do this new job at home that you may or may not have ever done before, ever tried before. And then, you know, you've been replaced, to your point, for three months, for six months, for a year. And now you're coming back and you want to prove yourself, but you also, you know, want to be at home probably more than you were before. And you feel, you know, quite torn. And I think, unfortunately, leaders don't really know how to talk to women about this. You know, it feels very personal And maybe almost taboo, but, you know, it's a natural part of the employment process when you employ women and mothers. But I think we're not comfortable yet as leaders discussing home life. Yeah, that's a very good point. I was actually interviewing someone recently and they were talking about they had a massive opportunity and they were about to give birth to a child and and they, they actually got the role where another organization probably would have said, nah, you know, that pregnant probably won't. We'll need to take some time out. Let's not do it. Well, the, her boss did go ahead and do it, which was really quite pleasing to hear in a, in a way whereby they actually did give them, get given the opportunity three months before they actually were due to, to give birth. And then, then they took three months off after that and then away where we went. And um, really cool to hear how it was going for that person. I actually do find that, and I'm not sure what you see as well, is that a lot of people don't actually have, they're not equipped. When you say a lot of leaders aren't equipped to have that conversation, but also the people taking time off as maternity leave and that, they're not really equipped either. Where do they go to to find all that kind of resource to help them? I think a lot of times in companies, you know, women rely on other women, you know, who are slightly ahead of them that have returned from maternity leave two years ago, four years ago, six years ago in the, you know, recent future and so, yeah, but I think where we go, I think a lot doesn't exist right now. But one of the programs that I do through my book, Slay Like a Mother, is going into companies and helping women return from maternity leave. You know, let's give them a worksheet to complete, you know, while they're out. So they can really have time and think about it. For example, 
you know, what is your child care situation? Do you need to leave at five o'clock every day? Do you want to stay later? Do you want to travel again? So a lot of times women are also maybe coddled when we get back into the workplace after having a baby, assuming that we wouldn't want to travel. But a lot of women have been at home for months and they're excited, you know, to get back. And so everybody's not the same and we shouldn't coddle women or hold them back when they get back because we think that's what they want. We should ask. And so that's why I always recommend some type of worksheet, you know, that the mother or even the returning father from, you know, paternity leave. Tell us about your home life. Tell about the stressors. Tell us how work can, you know, be supportive. And it's like all those things are going to 100% come true, but at least the the conversation has started, but it's on paper instead of doing it, you know, necessarily off the cuff in person. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the dads as well, because nowadays there tends to be a lot of dads who do stay home and, 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 and do that. And then the, the wife will go out and do the work and then yes. and so forth. And or they might take turns, right? So the one might do three months. The other one does three months as well. And so, yes, it's both sides, I think, too. Um, okay. Excellent. And really good to hear that. And Good on you for writing the book and helping people out there. I think that's really very, very, very good. Now, the question here I've got for you is, how did you get into leadership yourself? I spent 15 years of my career, my early career, in marketing and advertising. And I became a senior vice president at a fairly young age in the in the industry. And I really loved it. But the ratio that was off for me is what I call effort versus effect, meaning I was putting an extraordinary amount of effort, time and energy, 80 hours a week into my career. But the effect that I was having on the world, on, you know, other employees, etc., was was pretty minimal in the advertising industry. And so I quit my job. I became an entrepreneur and have been running the mom complex for the past 10 years. And so that was a big leadership leap, you know, for me to take to believe that I could start a company, I could run a company. You know, it was all very new to me. Okay, cool. Because I'm, what I'm finding here is that there is a lot of people today who are probably thinking about, because the pandemic the last two years or so has actually sort of forced people to think about life and about, you know, they're doing some long hours in corporate world or small to medium-sized businesses and that, and entrepreneurs doing big hours. But the question I've got here is, I'm finding that a lot of people are wanting to sort of think about that transition from that job, corporate world, to go and start their own business. What was that transition? Well, first of all, what was it like you making that decision to leave? And then what was the transition like? The making the decision was fairly easy in that, like I said, that that ratio and it was just so far off. I wanted to find, you know, or create a career where the effort would be minimal and the, you know, impact or the effect would be extraordinary. And so I think the decision was fairly easy to make. I didn't like the industry I was working in anymore. You know, it didn't feel like super respectful industry when you're on the service side of it. And so, you know, people often say it was courageous, you know, leave and become an entrepreneur. But I just don't see it that way. I was kind of burnt out and exhausted. And so for me, it was kind of you know, an act of saving myself, trying to create a life where I could work hard and I could be successful, but it wouldn't be everything. It wouldn't be all of my life. And so I think it was quite empowering and I was going to try it for a year. And if it didn't work out, I figured, you know, I'm employable. Like someone would hire me. And so I felt like I really would have regretted it if I didn't try it out. But I think you're exactly right. I think the pandemic has shown people you can work from home. Um, you know, you don't have to be dressed up and commute every day and sit, you know, in an office or a cubicle. And so I think I think the more entrepreneurs that come out of this, the better. Mm. You're all dressed up, ready to go to work and 
maybe not making much impact in, in life and in the world. But you know what? I think that I'm actually thinking about going and doing a new photo shoot. Actually, where it be, will you know, I might wear some really, really good trousers or trousers or jeans and a jacket, but also a black t-shirt underneath or a white t-shirt rather than a suit and tie, right? Because that's right. gone. And so yeah. that's the that's yeah. the sort of thing we're thinking about too. But um, yeah, I, I love asking that question about the transition because I think there's so many people because you'd said about you know some people call it courage and things like that. But that decision and making that decision, because the mindset of an entrepreneur and going out working for yourself is totally different, especially after month one. And the thing that got me was, oh, there's no pay that's just gone into my bank account. There is, it's not there anymore, right? It's up to me to now to go and do it even more. It's like, wow, different. Yeah. Yeah. Question I've got for you. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I'd say I learned a lot from my father in terms of leadership and two things predominantly. One, he demonstrated how much he cared about his employees beyond their employment. I mean, he seemed to care about them as human beings. He knew all their families. He would do nice things for them. He was very grateful for them. And it just taught me that as a leader, it it doesn't have to be such a cold relationship. You know, it can be very personal. And and they were, you know, kind of family to him. And I think that was wonderful to see. And the second thing he taught me is that you don't have to move away to the big city to be successful. So I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. My father had his career here and he was, you know, offered jobs in New York City several times. And I remember him coming home as a father and saying, I was offered this job today and we're not going to do it. You know, our family is here. Our, you know, my, my dad's terms, his siblings, his parents. You know, everyone was in Richmond and he still became very, very successful and he didn't have to, you know, in his case, uproot the family and move in order to do so. And that was really empowering to see. I actually see a lot of organized people within business and so forth who are treating it like a family. There's a balance. There's a fine line, I think, that you can get too far down one side and too far down the other side, too, depending what it is. But I like what you said about it's not a cold relationship. It is. It's a. It's a joint relationship here. It's a. It's a partnership. It's something that we're going to get together and go and do some things really cool together. Um, I like that. I like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, of course you don't need to go to a big city, but you know we used to think of that, right? Oh, we're going to go to the big city now to go and do the the big things, but um. You could do yeah, it and I think the, the lore of, of money and, you know, everything. And I always say that for me personally, as an entrepreneur, more is a four letter word, meaning, you know, we don't need more employees than we have right now. We don't need more money. We don't need more clients like we have found a model for our company that's very successful, very profitable. But we also have a life and we're not going to kill ourselves, you know, just for our job. And so. You know, that's also worth a lot. Like sometimes, you know, their promotion comes with more money, but it comes with a lot more stress. And so yeah. I think it's great to question whether more is really better for you just as an individual. And life is a four-letter word too, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that nowadays, and once again, the pandemic has actually forced people to think about life and about what they really want to do and get out of life and let's go and enjoy it and have fun. Plus, then we've also got the generations, different generations, more of the younger generations nowadays are saying, nah, I think I want to do more in life and, and go and enjoy it and good on them. So I think they actually understand boundaries really well, um, okay. is probably, probably a way I would say it. Now, if you were to sort of sit down with your dad and have a coffee with him on a park bench, would there be one question you would like to ask? 
I would be curious at who role modeled this behavior for my father, meaning treat people, your team and your employees, you know, with like a like a, a friendship, a partnership, like you said. Uh-huh. I'm just kind of curious. I think we often, you know, emulate the things we see in others or do the opposite if, if we don't like what we see. So, yeah, I, I'm always I'm interested in different leaders and the, the backstory of who taught them, you yep. know, that. Who taught who taught them or who shaped them as leaders? Because I think that's where we uh, do get shaped in our experiences and seeing different people do different things or experiencing it from them as well. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. And with that title, what does that mean for you? I think leadership is changing in a positive way to exactly what you just said, that there's more to life than work and you know we should work and be successful and raise successful you know leaders but i believe leadership is also taking a break and it's taking your vacation and it's turning your phone off at night i think that behavior has to be role modeled for um, younger employees and people and like you said the younger generation is much much better at it and i hope the more senior leaders can learn from these younger leaders and not judge them, you know, for wanting to have a balanced life or a life outside of work, because there's plenty of companies proving that that you can do both. Hmm. So how does the older, if I can call it that, leaders today learn from the younger ones? I think maybe, you know, if we can look at the younger generation and see that they're still getting their job done, they're still inspired, they're very empowered and they're taking more vacation generation you know they are drawing boundaries and they have hobbies and and friends and you know activities outside of work and if we can see well if they're still getting their job done then we can probably go on a family vacation and the world will keep spinning and you know sometimes i think we all think we're far more important than we really are you know and the the truth is like we're all imminently replaceable in our jobs and and, you know, the world's going to keep spinning if you take a little bit of time off, as I'm sure your own health scare, you know, taught you. Like, sometimes we have to be, you know, hit upside the head with the reality that we can take a break. Yep. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just keep going. We think we'll be okay. And for some, I think for men in particular, they're not very good at going to the doctor. They're not very good at looking after themselves and doing that kind of stuff. And I think that sometimes they just need to sort of wake up a bit and go to the doctor and get their ego out of the way. Uh, you know, I actually had a, I went and had an MRI scan done. And in the MRI scan, I actually had a panic attack because of claustrophobia and things like that. And I was like, whoa. And I'm kicking and I'm trying to, I'm hitting the buzzer to get me out. And it was really quite interesting. And then they come running in and they got me out. And I was like, you know, I feel really embarrassed. And they're like, nah, don't be embarrassed. I says, why is that? Well, we have this happen quite a lot. I'm like, well, then what can you do to help people? Right. You know, help them through it. But uh, they said to me, oh, yesterday we actually had a gang member here. I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes, full of tattoos and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, gang member. And I said, what happened? Well, they did exactly what you did, but there's a little bit of a difference. I said, oh, what was that? Oh, see that door over there? Yep, they went through the door fast, but they didn't open it first. They just smashed the door down and they were out. And I was like, oh, oh okay, I feel uh, a bit better uh, now. Oh, I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I think that we do need to understand more about life and about how things can help us and what we can go and do to look after ourselves first. Always, you know, that thing that they talk about in all airlines, right, when the mask drops down in front of you? Yeah. Well, 
why the heck do they say it? Well, they say it because you're not going to be any good to anybody if you know you can't uh, look after yourself. Well, I've got the sun streaming in here. That's pretty cool at the moment. Uh, very good. So, Catherine, the other thing too, I was going to ask you here, which is, you know, you and I are living in a world that's very fast right now. It's getting faster all the time. I think technology is driving a lot of it. Data, social marketing even in the world of writing books and course creation and things like that, or anything we're doing in life today is getting a lot faster. So for a leader today that's standing in this world and wanting to do things, what makes them successful in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think what makes leaders successful in this world and what will make them more successful is to delegate and empower. And I think that Oftentimes, as leaders, we get so caught up in either our ego or wanting to do something so well that we have to do it ourselves, and then we end up taking, you know, everything on. And somebody said to me one time, the the term CEO does not mean chief everything officer. You know, like you don't have to do absolutely everything. Now, if you're a solopreneur and you're by yourself, you do. But if you have a team, you know, how can you make sure to hire really great people, ideally people that are smarter than yourself? And really empower them and then get out of their way. And I think that the less time as leaders we can spend in the weeds, the more time we can spend kind of charting the future success of the company. <laughs> and so for a lot of leaders who probably oh, listen to this right now, thinking about then, thinking about what they need to do, how, how do they, I mean, do, when they bring people on board, I think a lot of leaders actually hire the same kind of people as themselves. Should they be hiring people that are the same as them or different? What What do you think? Yeah, I was, I was felt, <clears throat> excuse me, I felt victim to that for a long time of huh. hiring people just like myself. And it got me by for a while and it was, you know, enjoyable. The people were familiar to me, their ways and, and all that. But I felt like it started to limit us as a company in terms of what we could offer and bring to clients. It was, it was limiting. So now we hire data scientists and people that are just not like myself. And it's really broadened our capabilities as a company and what we can offer our clients. Yep. Yeah, I tell you, I think it's really, really good because uh, there is a trap for our listeners that people can find that they go and do hire people just like them and then they just get the same sort of results. If you go and hire people for what you need and they're going to bring different perspectives to the table, that's smart because you're going to get different things. And, you know, I don't know about you, Catherine, but I, I find that people need to, there are leaders who say, no, this is how we shall do it and uh, go on and do it. But I think today they have to listen to everybody else because there's these voices that are being shared with some great ideas. And you and I are only, you know, we will only come up with one or two great, some ideas ourselves. But then you have a team of people that could come up with a whole lot of great ideas and uh, ones that you and I ne- maybe even never ever think about. Absolutely. And and that should be seen as like a real high for a leader instead of, you know, jealousy or, oh, I didn't think about that. I mean, I always think the more my team does, like the more we can do as a company, but also the less day-to-day work that I have to do. And I can be, you know, freed up to be more of a, a visionary. And at the Mom Complex, we always talk about like, what are you uniquely positioned to do? Like, I'm not, I'm uniquely positioned to help bring in new business, to help work on stuff related to my book, but I'm not uniquely positioned to put together a PowerPoint presentation, you know, for a client. There's other people who are capable and who are compensated, you know, to do that. And so I think that can help you as a leader if you're always thinking about, am I uniquely positioned to do this on this team? That's a good question. When And if they realize 
because you said to me just before that you fell into that trap. If people listening to this podcast now realize, oh, maybe that's me, maybe I'm not actually bring on the right people what should they do next or how should they actually handle this to get out of that kind of situation to move forward i think the best thing to do is really open up your next job description you know the tendency is to write the job description in a way that really is automatically looking for someone like yourself but what is a skill set that you're missing on the team and maybe you've been outsourcing it in terms of freelancers but you could bring that person or that position, you know, in-house. But I think it's really good to say, okay, what what's making us vulnerable? Where do we have holes? You know, as an organization, do we need a designer to come in to make our stuff look better? Do we need somebody for logistics that can help us be more, you know, efficient? So think about thinking about taking that stuff in-house can be um, interesting. And it all comes down to the job description and just make sure it's not too narrow that maybe, you know, if you were applying for the job, you wouldn't make it. <laughs> write yep. it that way yep absolutely absolutely and maybe you wouldn't make it no but uh yeah it's very good now the other question i've got for you is because you and i've been talking about leadership and from a leadership's perspective in that if we have to change lens and now start to think about the employees how has employees expectations of leaders changed I think they've changed pretty dramatically and i think it's millennials and gen z that are saying you know i expect my leaders to allow me to have a life and I expect my leaders to have a life and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of all the vacation that you give me and I'm gonna you know take advantage of things outside of work and I think that the days are gone when you can just occupy 85 percent of somebody's mental space you know as their employer I think that's unrealistic I think we can continue to do that and that is being led by millennials and gen z saying this is a big part of my life but it's not my entire life and and I think that you know they're just gonna leave if you are you know really micromanaging of millennials, you know, and Gen Z, if you're insisting that they come into the office all the time, they're they're just going to leave. And so it's a little bit of the, you know, adapt or die. Um, as employers, we have to be mindful that they just care more about the bigger picture than many of us did coming through the ranks. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, how you just mentioned about coming through the ranks, the, the generations, the millennials, the Gen Zs and so forth, how how or what should we be doing to try and develop them as leaders or will they become leaders would they want to become leaders going forward what's your thoughts yeah i do think they want to be leaders but i think it has to be in the right environment and i think the first thing you know you need to do if you're employing them is have a conversation of what currency is most meaningful to you maybe it's money maybe it's a title maybe it's time off Maybe it's leaving every day at three o'clock. Maybe it's not working on vacation. But most people have what Ariana Huffington always called a third metric, you know, outside of money and title. What is important to you? And I think that um, millennials and Gen Z employees want to feel like their career path is customized. And I think as leaders, sometimes we make assumptions. You know, everybody just wants more money and more titles. But sometimes more vacation is more valuable than more money. And and so there's other ways that you can support employees. But if you don't know who they are as a human being, it's going to be hard to keep them there long term. I remember um, a few years ago, we had a leader who was talking to, I was supporting that leader and 
they were talking to two of their staff members who are looking at going to a new company to go and work. And he actually said to them one thing which relates to what you just said here. Where else would you go where you've got some flexible hours? Where else could you go whereby you could leave at three o'clock like you just said, or you didn't have to come into work at the time? Now, that, of course, that was pre-pandemic. But I think the thing that was really quite interesting here was he actually said to them, you can't get that. Money can't buy you that. And they had that flexibility and they realized that and they actually stayed within the organization because, yes, they were going to get $10,000 extra. But then when they stepped back and thought about take tax out, do this, that, okay, it might be $5,000, you know, that I just can't get that time back with my kids or that flexibility. It's just totally different. And so you know, I think I'm glad you actually just shared that because I think it's really, really important for people to understand that. Yeah, and it can be, you know, companies are always worried about the bottom line and there's ways you can keep people that are free or or less expensive than just a, you know, traditional raise, like you said. And I also think people are really weighing, okay, you're going to give me to an extra thousand dollars, which your point is five grand spread out over a year. It's, you know, it's negligible in terms of impact in your life, probably. But what additional responsibility comes with that? You know, because it could be that you're actually working Twenty or forty thousand dollars more, you know, worth of value, but you're only getting ten thousand dollars more, and is that, you know, trade off really worth it? Yeah, and then I think it takes six six months, twelve months, whatever, to build rapport, trust within the new organization, and so then you know you're trying to go and do things. It's it's totally different. But if you're in a known quantity, that's great. Now we're not saying here, listeners, that you shouldn't go out there and go and look for another role if it's going to be right for you, but just take into consideration that there are other things that Catherine just shared about more than just the money and the title and that, there is a lot more things to life. And so you've got to take it as a full package, the full picture, and understand what you're wanting to do and where you're wanting to go. Alrighty, so Catherine, if we get you to get your crystal ball out here now and uh, and think about the future here, where do you see leadership being in five years? Well, along the lines of what we've just been talking about, I think, I hope that leaders are going to be prioritizing the mental health and happiness of their employees not just company growth. You know, I think that, I think we're really going to be forced to by millennials and Gen Z or they're not going to work for us anymore. Um, But it's a great push. But I think that, you know, as we've been saying, just the days of working yourself to the grind and really sacrificing everything outside of work, sacrificing your health, um, I think those days are fading. And so I think in five years, you know, leaders really caring about the full package, the full picture, you know, treating people more like human beings and partners than just employees. And I think that's a great place to go. I mean, we've proven that, you know, as leaders, we can, you know, be successful, but can we be compassionate and successful at the same time? Can we have balance and sanity, you know, at the same time as success? I think that's the new frontier. Now, you just mentioned before about mental health. In your part of the world, as we're seeing it here, in your part of the world, how are people coping with mental health at the moment? I think it's a mess. I think that there are, you know, devastating effects from the pandemic. I mean, people were already, you know, so stressed out, overworked, underpaid, exhausted. Women in most parts of the world not getting the help and support, you know, that they need at home, around the house with the domestic chores. And and so I think everybody was already burnt out. And then you just have the lingering, you know, cognitive load that people are carrying from this global pandemic. And so, you know, we have seen some employers stepping up and doing more, not just 
professional development, but personal development, you know, through work that I think should be applauded. And and then also with insurance, at least, you know, in the U.S., more coverage for mental health, you know, from employers of that being kind of part of the insurance package, I think goes a long way. But there's a lot of need. I show up for workshops for my books, like a mother all over the world. I just got back from Africa not too long ago. And I keep keep waiting to show up to a country where women and leaders are not, you know, full of self-doubt, but I haven't found it yet. I don't, I don't think you will. I think it's there's a lot of it around the world at the moment. And I think the mental health side of things is, is really, really strong in the sense that we're needing to be to wake up big time and to look after. And I think the thing here is, is not just the fact that we've got mental health, but I think we need to help leaders understand how to cope with it or how to handle it or understand or look out for the signals whereby people are maybe going through things, but they're not trying to be the counsellor not trying to be the psychologist because they shouldn't be. They should hand it over to the professionals to get the right help. But I think if we've got some resources available for people who may be going through it, but also understanding that, you know, for leaders. And the other thing too, if you are a listener right now and you're going through that kind of thing, I think the big thing here would be, hey, put your hand up for help. There are people around you that can help you and are willing to help you. So feel free to do that. It's easy for me to say too, though, at times too, I think, Catherine, people find it hard to put their hand up and ask for help. But you know what? Even when I was going through that tumor side of things, and I just put a post yesterday up on social media in relation to that, is that the fact that I had to put my hand up for help and I got the right people around me to support me. And if, you know, we, we all face adversity and ambiguity and things like that. But if we do put our hand up, you know, there are people out there that can actually really help us and can make a difference. Yeah. And I, w- I would just add to that by saying that people, you know, for those listening, people want to help you. They really do, you know, and raising your hand gives them an opportunity to help someone that they love and it'll be met with more acceptance and love than you probably think it will. Yeah, awesome. Catherine, this has been a fascinating uh, discussion. Thanks for joining me in today's episode. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Um, I would invite anybody to go to either our website, themomcomplex.com, or for my book, it's slaylikeamother.com. Or you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. So just Catherine Winch, W-I-N-T-S-C-H. Excellent. We're going to put those in the show notes. And so listeners, if you're interested, have a look in the site show notes and you better get to those links, which will be all good. So once again, Catherine, thank you for joining me. All right, listeners. Hey, it's a real pleasure being with you. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.